You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. So will you guys please welcome to the ACF stage the founder and executive director of The Refuge, Brooke Crowder, ladies and gentlemen. So glad to have her here. And of course, our director of missions, Michelle Briggins, who you guys know quite well. So I'm already a little humbled. Um, First of all, good morning to everybody online. We greet you. Uh, I'm feeling very overwhelmed already just having Rick talk about Onaville. I've been to Onaville many times. And Pastor Noel was here in this room a few months ago and talked about, you're not teaching him to drive. He's a terrible driver. But um, it's a mess in Haiti, and we love those people. And I agree with Rick. Thank you. Another ministry partner that we support is the Refuge Ranch. And we are so proud of that relationship. Um, I, I, just looking around the room, I think we're good, but uh, just by nature of the topic, we're not gonna be graphic, but this is a PG-13 topic when you talk about trafficking. So if you've got a child next to you that you don't have to have a long talk with after church, this would be a great time to take them back to our world-class children's ministry, Camp Fun, but I just wanna give you that, that heads up. Um, I'm gonna pray. And then we're going to interview Brooke and let her share what God's doing at the refuge as we get to work together. Lord God, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for the rain. We need it. Uh, we pray for more of it. Um, I thank you so much for Brooke and her tenacity and her conviction and her, the amazing men and women you put around her. I thank you that she's a warrior and that she doesn't take no for an answer. And I'm so grateful that you let ACF and Brooke and the Refuge to be partners a few years ago. And we pray that today we'll deepen that relationship. Lord, you're a God of over-redemption. You're a God of justice and defense of your people and your causes and the least of these. And I pray that that will be what is communicated so well today. Lord, I pray for the absolute chaos at the border right now in relationship to this topic. And I pray you will download wisdom to men and women like Brooke and like us on how to help solve this problem and rescue these girls and boys that are involved in this. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hi, Brooke. I know. Hi. Hi. Uh, um, are you on? Let me make sure that I'm on. Should, okay, yes. good. Um, what is trafficking? Let's just jump in. What is, what is trafficking? Well, trafficking um, in particular, when we're talking about child sex trafficking, um, we're talking about children who are being coerced, tricked, um, Sometimes they're, um, they're, they're bullied into um, selling their bodies for food or some type of monetary gain for another person. Um, so it's, it's exploitation um, for the gain of others' benefit. So you were just walking along, minding your own business in life, and this became your life assignment. How in the world did Brooke get called into this ministry in fighting for these, these girls? 
It's been a journey. Uh, it, it did start, though, I can trace it back to 2002, and um, I was serving as the Director of Women's Ministries at the Woodlands United Methodist Church, and I took a team of women with the missions pastor to Guatemala, and we worked at an orphanage, but we also walked around the streets, and I started to see what, at that time, people were calling street children. And um, at the end of that trip, um, at the last night there, I just wept all night long and I just said Lord I whatever I do for the rest of my life I want to help children that are caught in this type of um, situation fast forward a year I'm at Asbury Theological Seminary and uh, my my daughter is going into kindergarten my son's going into second grade and um, I see an uh, video of little girls being rescued out of a brothel in India. Gary Haugen from International Justice Mission had come to the seminary and done this presentation. And these were little girls that were five, six, and seven years old. And my daughter was six years old. And it broke my heart all over again. Say that again. These, these, were, these were little girls that were five, six, and seven year, years old. They had been held in a hole underneath a brothel, and then at night they were brought up and sold, and that was their life. And I sat in the back of the chapel after that service and could not stop weeping once again, but this time everybody cleared out. I just continued to sit there and weep. And um, this, the dean of the school of World Mission that I was in said, Brooke, I want you to look around. There's nobody else sitting here with a heart broken like yours. I, I really think this is the call on your life. And I knew at that time that that was true. And again, just said, whatever, Lord, you want me to do, I'll do. And um, that just, that's been the journey is I've just kind of done, taken the next step of the doors that God has opened. It led to after seminary going to uh, Central America, working there with girls that were actively being trafficked. And then um, when I moved back to the United States, I moved to Austin. And um, I was just talking to people around the city asking who, who is doing Who's helping children that are being trafficked? Because by this point in time, I knew this wasn't a their problem, it was a here problem. And I had learned enough there to be able to recognize it here as well. And um, people began talking about what's happening in our city, but, but nobody was doing anything for direct services to really help children recover. And then I began having conversations with people I didn't even know, and they would say, we think you should start something. <laughs> and um, when enough people say that to you, you think, well, maybe, maybe God's trying to get your attention. And then someone did say, hey, what would you do if you could do anything? And I shared a vision that God had given, a place of healing, a place where girls could come and get services and help and love. And... Um, when God gives a vision, he always makes a way for it to be fulfilled, and that was the start of a community coming together and building the Refuge Ranch. So I want to just point out a quick subtle difference, because I say to you guys all the time, this sounds like God's calling you to do something. You all look at me and tell me I'm crazy. <laughs> you see how quickly Brooke said, yes, you're right, and yielded to her le leadership church? Anyway. Um, <laughs> this, that was 21 years ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you said something that I'm not sure I believe. Mm -hmm. This is not a their problem, it's a here problem. 
Now, this is Austin. This is the United States of America. We don't have trafficking in Austin. So we, we don't have trafficking at 78730 or 31 or 32 or at Vandergriff. So help me, I don't, I'm not sure I buy that, okay? I know, and I understand that because we don't see children on the streets, right? With cars pulling up and, and money being exchanged. But um, it is going on in every zip code in our city. And um, we have had girls at the refuge that are from the best zip codes in Austin, Texas. Um, I'll give you a very recent, very practical example of what I'm talking about. One of our donors, our longest term donors, one of um, our donors that has given actually significant amount of, of money to get the refuge built and help us sustain, um, I got a call from him at the end of March. And um, it turns out that, <clears throat> and he lives in a, in a city not far from here, when if I named it, you would all recognize it. And um, probably a lot of you go there on the weekends. And his 12-year-old um, daughter was being trafficked while living at home. And the only reason they knew that was because they noticed some differences in her behavior. They got on their phone, got on her phone, and because of what they had heard about things to identify of how grooming starts and how this starts to desensitize a child to the horrors of what starts to happen when they're being exploited, for the sexual pleasure of other people, he recognized this was happening to his daughter. And Will, the only vulnerabilities that this child had, she had two. She was 12 years old, and she had a smartphone. That's and that's it. That made her a target. That made her a target. And so someone had infiltrated the school through relationships and um, befri started befriending her. And it was, um, it was over the course of about four to five months that they were grooming her through social media, starting to desensitize her. And thankfully, because they had started to invite her to go places, the, the parents said, wait, something's not right here. And they were able to prevent something very tragic. And this tragic. is somebody who's been with you from day one as a founder Correct. or a donor and yes, their yes. kid, their kid. Yes, his child. Yes. So all this right. goes on, and it goes on in all of our schools. And, and if, if a child has a smartphone, they are, they are at risk of being a victim of someone that is wanting to exploit a vulnerability. And like I said, this child was 12 years old. That's a vulnerability to a predator. Evil is coming for our children, and the primary means the stories that we hear over and over through children that come to the refuge is it began through social media and a conversation just let that parents just let that sit for a minute okay it's not a their problem it's an our problem it's a here problem and the avenue in is innocence and social media a phone okay Evil is coming for our children. So I was shocked several years ago when a chaplain for APD introduced us to a member of the vice department, and he mentioned the big events in Austin, South by ACL, F1, and the circuit that we're on for trafficking. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, really, wherever there's large gatherings, um, like all that you mentioned, especially the festivals that go on in Austin, we know, you know, the Super Bowl is a, is a mm -hmm. huge one. Um, you, you have people that are away from home, perhaps away from um, people that might recognize them, and we have traffickers that move children into this city. And through the dark web, a lot of times, um, they are being advertised. And yes, I actually did a sting with the APD vice squad years ago when they had the vice squad. And um, it was right down there at a hotel in um, downtown Austin at 11 o'clock in the morning. And they had undercover vice officers pretending to be um, selling children. And they could not field this, the, the inquiries fast enough with five different cell phones. And having been in this work for a long time, even that shocked me. That was an eye-opener for me. That's the reality. Okay. Um, I'm going to let Michelle take this next part. I'm going to set up with you. You've had quite a year. Yes. So let's, let's go from there. Yeah. So things are leaping out for me. You're, you've been given this call on your life by God to step into hard places with vulnerable children. So what leaps out to me is, man, you have a target on you. I would say this past year is evidence of that target. So will you fill our team in on um, what that's looked like for you and um, what the resolution of that has been? Absolutely. Um, on March 9th of 2022, at eight in the morning, um, a lot of um, DFPS, Department of Family Protective Services caseworkers started showing up at the refuge at our front gate. Um, and, and we did not know they were coming, and they began removing girls from the refuge ranch, and they didn't know why. They had just been told from the powers on high to come get your girl. A lot of the case managers themselves were weeping. The girls were hysterical. They were weeping. We did not know why this was happening. Um, and so at the end of that day, some, some investigators from DFPS came out and said, this we were told to come get girls because um, there have been allegations that girls are being trafficked out of the refuge, that there's sexual abuse going on, that there are drugs being sold here to the girls. And so I said, if you really think that's happening, then you've done your job. You are doing the right thing. Um, now, we do know, and we reported it, that in January, uh, two months prior to that, two girls on our campus made the allegation that one of the overnight staff members had coerced them to take pictures on her phone and sold them for money. And so when we were, when those girls made that outcry, we immediately fired that staff member, reported it to the Sheriff's Department and DFPS, who began an investigation. And um, at that point, six weeks later, when they came and took all of the girls, um, Again, we didn't understand why, because we had cooperated with the investigation. Um, coincidentally, the night prior, uh, a report was released to the media and to the federal judge that's suing the state of Texas um, that um, this was happening at the refuge, that all these allegations that girls were being trafficked and sold. sold. Oh, but the media knew. The media knew the night before prior. And so that was the firestorm. That was what happened. And um, we, again, we were, we were ready to cooperate fully because we knew that the, the um, 
outlandish allegations from that report were not true. Um, but we wanted to suspend judgment and get to the bottom because just like everyone else, we wanted to know the truth. And so we cooperated. We were actually investigated this last year by nine different entities. Um, and we were cleared of all allegations. Um, and we know that children who have severe trauma often make false allegations. That is just the nature of this work. And our overseers and our regulators, it's their job to investigate that. And um, unfortunately, they really didn't, they really messed up the messaging and the information and, um, and it hurt a lot of girls. So this was widespread on the media. The national, accusation, it was national yeah, news. national media that the Refuge Ranch, who is protecting girls who have been trafficked, is actually trafficking, and that was the message that was ringing out in March of last year. Um, talk about once all of that you were cleared of the allegations. What happened next? Yeah, so we were um, cleared of all of the allegations. It began with some of the external allegations, the Rangers, the FBI, other entities um, made, wrote a note to um, our governor and the, and the House committees and Senate committees um, that there was no, there were no, there was no truth to allegations. Um, and so we began having a conversation with our state regulators to reopen. And that negotiation took about two and a half, three months. Um, and so um, we just continued to to pray and to believe that um, what what was meant for evil would be used for good um, and that God was for us, so who could be against us? And we really held on to that faith that um, this was his ministry, and if he wanted it to reopen, it would reopen in his time. Um, but I'll tell you, it came down to the wire. <laughs> um, I had to let go 75% of our staff um, over the course of between March and June of last year, and 10 folks remained. We held on, we called ourselves the Gideon's Army, and um, we maintained our campus, and we just um, believed that this was God's ministry, and if he wanted it to remain, it would. I, I really have to say that um, you and Will, um, in particular, were great encouragers to me and to our team. Um, we knew you were praying and you would send encouraging notes. And really this, the whole body of ACF um, stood behind us and believed in this and believed in us. And so at the end of January, we got notice that our a suspension had been lifted. And so we went to work in February and March and April to begin rebuilding um, our bank account so that we could then rebuild our team. And so I'm happy to say that um, almost every position is has been identified the person that we're hiring. Um, our new team is coming to campus on May 17th. We'll start our uh, training and we'll be bringing girls back to the refuge in early June. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks, God. And I'm sure all of those news media outlets reported all of this. I'll circle back right and recanted. Yeah, that was a real big silent. <laughs> <laughs> but the governor was not silent. Is that correct? Did he reach out to you or wrote you? Did, didn't the governor write you a letter? I got the, did you hear from them? Okay. I, th I thought I'd dream that. Yeah. They have been fully exonerated. Um, somebody wrote a document. Brooke wouldn't tell you this. And 
sent it to a judge who's very hostile to the foster world and sent to media. And, and it just fabricated a document saying the refuge is doing trafficking. And that's how this all started. So if that doesn't convince you that this is war, um, I, I, I want to point something out that you've said a couple of times that I have heard from everyone around the refuge, which is, it is clear that God's hand is on this ministry because all of us are working hard, right? But you could not accomplish what you've accomplished without trusting that God is your champion and that he's for you and that he is for those children. And your unwavering faith through this entire season, yeah. actually since I've known you, you have always proclaimed that. Every person around you that I know has said that. Despite all odds, God is not going to let the refuge fail. And I just want to encourage you that everyone has seen you walk this out with great strength and faith. And well done. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Praise God. Thank you. Yeah. Brooke looks sweet and innocent. Don't pick a fight with her. Okay. <laughs> she, will take you, she will take you out. Um, so just in the, we've got a few minutes left here. In the, in the day-to-day, what does the refuge do for girls? So when a girl arrives at the refuge, um, she's very broken. Um, she might have come from the juvenile justice system. She might be brought in by the FBI, um, maybe a parent. And, um, but the overriding arching uh, sense that we have from her is anger and shame. And um, usually she doesn't really want to be there. But what we do is we surround her, first of all, with love. Um, every person on our campus, um, while they are the therapists and the case managers and the house parents and the teachers and the psychiatrists, um, the goal is, is to surround her with love because the number one thing, we, we can provide all the best services and we do because we have them in our community. And so we partner with those who bring the very best services so girls can get the tools to rebuild their life. That is really important. If it were my daughter, I would want... I would want to have had that, so um, that's why we do that. But the number one purpose is to help them trust and love again and to understand that their identity is so much more than being a commodity for the lusts of men. And um, it takes time, so we say as long as necessary. So children come and live as long as necessary, and we we watch lives transform. And the refuge has been replicated, is that correct, in other places around the country? Actually, um, yes, a week ago I was in Ohio at a groundbreaking for a campus um, that is modeled after the refuge. And we've been walking alongside a group of churches there that said we want to do something in our community for children in our community. And we're partnering with Eight Days of Hope, who's building the campus. And so the refuge is providing the operational training and their model. We handed over all the prints for the campus, and so it's exciting. So even in the midst of the sorrow of this last year, um, there was life being birthed in Ohio for the hope of girls there. Costs per day per child to, to have a, a kid at the refuge, what's it cost you guys? 
So as I said, we do everything on campus. We have a medical clinic, we have schooling, we have a psychiatric team that comes from UT Dell. So on average, depending on how many girls are there, but on average it's about $500 to $550 a day, sometimes $600 depending. Just it depends on the, the amount of care. Some of our girls need such intensive care um, that we go above and beyond with outside contractors, but um, we say on average $500 a day. You have capacity for how many girls? We're licensed for 24 girls, so that's six cottages. We have six cottages of four. We built 10 cottages, and I won't take too much more time, but originally, um, and, and I argued with God about this. I was like, I've worked with girls. I, we can't have 48 girls on one campus. Um, but what we've learned is that we needed those buildings for other things, and so we have six long-term cottages and two transition cottages. So when a girl comes to us, she lives in the Haven, and then she's moved into her long-term cottages. So we technically have 30 beds for girls to come. And to fill that would be $500 a day, and some of that is, I know, subsidized from organizations, but much of it is not donors, correct? Yeah, our gap per girl per year based on our contractual agreements, because when we get girls from juvenile detention centers, um, the, the per diem we get is not very much. Those are, um, and so on, on average, the gap per year per child is around $35,000. There's perspective. All right, so let's show the chapel. Let's put this next slide up if we can. So you may have seen that chapel in the video. You guys did that. Okay, there's a chapel these girls go to that's beautiful, and ACF built the chapel. So I want you to know that. Um, Let's put the missions contact slide up next. And Michelle, I'll start with you. Um, What do you want to say to our church about what we do and how to, and we're going to give you two contact slides, this one and the next one. But this is uh, missions email and then refuge contact form as well. If you want to take a picture of this and maybe get in touch, you can. We'll do one more slide after this. But... What do you want to say? I said, here's your bully pulpit. Michelle may stand on the table and preach for a minute. I promise I won't. What do you want to say to ACF? I I want to say I, I love how God downloaded Brooke's purpose. Look at the phones. For her while she was on a mission trip. Ah, I'm going to say, don't be afraid to go. That, that seems big and it seems for some terrifying to just get, get on a plane and go. But look what she did. Look what he did to Brooke. He gave her her mission for what she was going to do here at home in Austin, Texas. So don't be afraid to say yes to a mission trip, number one. Number two, don't be afraid to jump in at the refuge. There are are amazing ways that you can impact generational change by spending some time at the Refuge Ranch, by organizing a goods drive. You guys have material needs, and and I'll let you guys talk about that. Monica Hinkle is here, and and Brooke and Monica are going to be out in the foyer. Monica helps Brooke with communicating to outside groups what the needs at the Refuge are. Stop by, talk to them. Um, If you don't know that human trafficking is what's lighting you up for justice, do the work. There are so many justice needs in our community. Do that work. Don't be afraid. Because what I noticed in this story, God had her the whole time. Yeah. 
God had Brooke Crowder had the refuge ranch the whole time. And what Brooke didn't say is the people that were working, serving these girls that they had to cut, that 75%, most of those people are wanting to come back. So that is an amazing story. That doesn't happen um, very often. And so don't be afraid to step into what you see is too big for you to handle because God has got you. God has got you. And if you need help determining what your heartburn is, reach out to us. We would love to help you walk through that. We have a plan for your life. So. And God loves you. And God loves you, and we have a plan for your life. Yes, it's good. You'll have so much fun. <laughs> Day jobs are overrated, okay? Don't be afraid. Brooke, what do you want to say to ACF? Well, I, I really want to thank you all. Um, you, you have walked alongside us um, in the joyful times and in the really dark times. And um, uh, you, your faithfulness to us, not only monetarily, which is tremendous. Um, and I will say that your gift to us this last year carried us to the deadline of January 31st when we got our license back. So I was able to um, continue to pay our staff and, and live to fight another day. And so I wanna really wanna thank you all because um, your generosity, your faithfulness um, is changing the lives of girls. And when we change the life of a child whose trajectory was on mm -hmm. towards towards exploitation and a pattern of limping through life because of that trauma and that woundedness, we change that trajectory. And that not only changes her life, but that changes the generations to come. That's the power of what we're doing together as the body of Christ. And um, so I just wanna thank you all so much for your, your faithfulness to the refuge and for your prayers for us. So we always say that obedience has a ripple effect. Uh, you never just obey for you. When you obey, there's a blessing that someone is desperately needing. You may, your obedience may be the answer to somebody's prayer. And when you don't obey, those needs go unmet. So look at the ripple effect of Brooke's obedience. Look at the, look at the, the countless lives that have been changed and the ripple effect of that and the lives that are gonna be changed because she just said yes. You, you just never know the power of a yes. So we love celebrating God's stories. Well, the Brooke and the Refuge, hers a little simple. Yes, okay, I guess I'm the only one here in the chapel. Here I go. Look at what God's done through that. And when you say yes to the Holy Spirit, you never know. Deal? You, ne you, <laughs> you never know. So if God is tugging on your heart today, it's lean into the yes Okay, um, I'm going to let these ladies slip out and get outside so you can um, greet them and say hello. Can we thank Brooke for her time this morning? And, yeah.